Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all. First thing I want to do is ask you if, if you're a note taker, you can take out a pencil and you can look at your bulletin and where it says Nehemiah 3 and 4, you can cross that out and you can write in Hebrews 11, 1 to 16. Uh, it's interesting, uh, as I was driving up here on Friday, I was wrestling with, you know, I was feeling good about Nehemiah 3 and 4 and, and, and yet I was like, man, I just, this other sermon might be better. I don't know. I already decided. And then yesterday, hearing the news about uh, Nicole, just felt like this sermon was the right one. So called a little audible, and we are looking at Hebrews 11, 1 to 16 this morning. I believe it's on page 1007 of the Pew Bible uh, in front of you. It is such a joy to be with you. It's been a long time since I've been here on a Sunday morning, since I've preached here. I looked and it was July of 2019, last time I was here, so three and a half years ago. Uh, so I just want to tell you a little bit more about our journey before we get into the text today. So as Josh mentioned, uh, I was on staff here as the missions pastor from 2012 to 2017. Uh, then we moved to Abu Dhabi, the capital of the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East, uh, where I helped pastor a, a large English-speaking church there. It was a, a really amazing season of, of four years, sweet time of seeing God's global church come together in one place. Our church had over 50 nationalities in the church on every Friday morning. We met on Friday mornings. They actually just changed to Sundays this past year because the country changed their laws about what the weekends are. So uh, but we met on Fridays when I was there, and it was such a beautiful picture of the global body of Christ, of what felt like every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We saw a lot of adult baptisms, people coming to Christ. Uh, we even had some Americans who came to Christ in the Middle East. Uh, when they moved over there, they heard the gospel and became believers. And uh, we had sweet stories uh, of even Muslims coming to Christ, uh, probably just about every background out there we saw people coming to Christ. It, it, I could tell stories all day. It, it was an amazing place and amazing to see God working in, in the Middle East, uh, a place we don't expect to see such fruit for the gospel, and yet it is now uh, uh, an amazing place where the light of Christ is being shown. So in 2020, the pandemic hit, and it was, it was pretty tough over there. They were very strict. Uh, for a couple of months, we could barely leave our apartment. We were only allowed to leave to go to the grocery store. Uh, so I, I laughed when people talked about the lockdown here, and then you're like out in the yard playing and out at the park. I'm like, no, lockdown for us meant we're, we're stuck at home with, that's it. We can't go anywhere. Uh, so that, that was interesting. And then our, our senior pastor there felt he, he, it was time for him and his family to move back to America. So the church was in a big time of transition. And so Michelle and I, we were praying and saw it was also our time to transition. And so we started looking at, at lead pastor roles all over the world. Uh, at one point I was interviewing with a church in, in Belgium, Hong Kong, and Texas. And uh, it's like, okay, we, we really could go anywhere here. And uh, through God's great providence, he led us to the Journey Bible Fellowship uh, in the Austin, Texas area. We're in the suburb of Leander, and we've been there since summer of 2021. Uh, if you can put the picture of our family up, I just want to give you a quick update. So that's my wife and kids. Uh, for those who don't know me, and they couldn't come. It's just a little long of a trip 
uh, for them to come up this weekend. Uh, but Michelle's doing great. She's leading our church women's ministry. Uh, we didn't really have one when we came, and so Michelle has launched that and just loves it. She even wrote an entire study on 1 Corinthians last year, which is like, I think she needs to get it published. It's really good. Uh, so she's she is loving that and, and getting to know the, the people at our church. And then our kids, Izzy is 11. She's a middle schooler, which is awesome. Jubilee is nine, and Sam is four. And uh, Izzy and Jubilee are both, uh, they're in leading roles in plays or musicals in the community coming up. So they, that's what they like to do. They love to read and play and, and just a blast. And then Sam uh, loves to punch and wrestle and tackle. And uh, he's, he, he is a blast. So hopefully next time we'll, we'll be able to all come up together. Our church there, it's, it's a non-denominational church. We got about 150, 200 people. Uh, we have a great heart for our community. I've launched a global missions program and started a missions budget there. As that, you know, we got to have that. That's, uh, if, if I'm going to church, that's going to happen. Uh, so that's been fun. And uh, we're, we're seeing some growth, a lot of young families. It's, it's, it's a pretty special church. We really love it and are blessed to be there. So the transition that we had last year was, was really crazy. I mean, you can imagine what it was like to move from the Middle East to Texas in the middle of the pandemic. And so I accepted the job in April of 2021. And then in May, we had a moving company come and pick up all our stuff. So all our stuff is gone. Then two weeks later, we moved out of our apartment and stayed with some friends there. So we're staying with some friends for about a week. Then I preached my final sermon there. And then we spent the night at an airport hotel. Then we got on the plane, a 16-hour flight to Dallas and spent a week in Dallas with my parents. That's where they are now. Then we went down and saw the house that we bought in the Austin area because we bought it online. We'd, we'd never seen it, but we, the market was crazy. So we did a video tour and had to go for it. So we spent a night there. Then we flew out to San Francisco, spent some time with Michelle's family, and then finally flew back and started to settle in in Texas. So May and June and July of 2021 were absolutely insane for us. You can imagine what that was like for my kids. In some ways it was fun, you know, like sleeping in different beds and airplanes and seeing friends and staying with family. But it was also really confusing and, and unsettling. It was fruit basket upset for the Romigs. And my son, Sam, who was three at the time, he was most confused about everything that was happening. So after we'd moved out of our apartment there, he asked me, where is home? And I was like, wherever we are, but that's home right now. And then when we were on that long flight, about two hours into the 16-hour flight, he said, I want to get off the plane and go home. Like, well, we got let's put another movie on. We got a few more, few more hours to spend. But, uh, and then one time when we were in San Francisco, he said it again, I, I want to go home. And I thought, what does this little three-year-old mean by home? What's in his mind? Is it our apartment in Abu Dhabi? Is it something else that he remembers? What, what's he envisioning? What's home to little Sam? You know, it's interesting for me, coming back to first free, I feel the same way, like, am I home? I, I grew up here. I, I was baptized up there. I drove by my old house yesterday. It doesn't look like my home anymore. Uh, it's changed. Am I home? Well, yes and no. I love it here. I, I do feel at home here. But I don't feel like this is really my home anymore. 
And, you know, things change in three and a half years. The building looks amazing. I can't play basketball here at the church anymore because you've got this great activity hall. But that's, that's a small sacrifice compared to what you've got. It's, it's very nice. Uh, it looks amazing. And I don't know where to go to lunch after church. Barnard's moved to the west side. What in the world? Come on. Everything's changing. So don't worry. I, I, I don't identify as a Texan. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. I, I still feel like I'm a Kansan and, and would call this probably more of home. Definitely not a Cowboys fan. No worries there. It is fun to make fun of the Cowboys, but uh, I'm still fully Chiefs fan. Uh, I have started saying y'all, okay? I'll probably say it a couple times this morning. It's a good word. It's convenient. You should try it. So y'all is good. Y'all are good. We're all good. So what is my home? What is your home? And brothers and sisters, whether you were born and raised here or you've lived dozens of places, I want to tell you this morning, you're not home. Kansas isn't home. Texas isn't home. America isn't home. This world is not our home. We should feel homesick sometimes. And when we hear about things like Nicole dying, it's like we should feel that. We're not home. That's not right. That's not good. And we grieve because we're not home. We long for something more than this, more than this life and this world have to offer because we're not home. And so we may feel a little homesick this morning, but that's why I wanted to look at Hebrews chapter 11 because it gives us a picture of how to live in that homesickness in this world and points us to the eternal home that we are awaiting with Jesus. So I think you've already opened your Bibles and you can look at page 1007, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 16 is our text. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews 11, 1 to 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. So some quick background on this great book of Hebrews. We, we don't know who wrote it. People speculate, maybe Barnabas, Luke, Apollos, Clement, maybe someone else. Only God really knows who wrote Hebrews. It was probably written between 60 and 80 AD to a group of Christians who were facing persecution. And this chapter is perhaps the most famous chapter in Hebrews, often called the Hall of Faith. The by faith, by faith, by faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11. And this morning, God's word in Hebrews 11 will call us to three acts of faith in our homesickness. Three acts of faith in our homesickness. If you're taking notes, that's the subject line. And here's the first point. By faith, we wait on God's promises. By faith, we wait on God's promises promises. In Hebrews 11, the author brings up many Old Testament examples. You saw the names Abel, Enoch, and Noah. But the most prominent example who receives the most ink here is Abraham and his wife Sarah. Look again at verse 8. It says, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is a reference to the story in Genesis when God called Abraham to leave his country, his people, his household, and go to an unknown land. Abraham didn't even know where he was going, but he obeyed. He went. And he ended up living in tents in a foreign land. I doubt when Abraham was a teenager that this was his dream life to leave his family and go dwell in tents in a foreign land wasn't necessarily his best life to live, but he went. He had faith, and he went. And then in verses 11 and 12, we see the faith of Sarah. So God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, but it wasn't looking too good. They're getting pretty old. Abraham's in his 90s, Sarah's in her 80s, and still no child of the promise. How would they have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky with no child. Imagine they maybe had some doubts in those years. We know they did. Probably a lot of questions. It was biologically impossible for them to have a baby at that age. 
How would God fulfill his promise? Well, when Abraham was about 100 and Sarah 90, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the child of the promise. It was a miracle of God, contrary to the laws of science. And through Isaac came the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. And through that nation came the Messiah, Jesus Christ, for Jews and for Gentiles. God is faithful to his promises. The point here in Hebrews 11 is this, that Abraham and Sarah had to wait a long time to see even a partial fulfillment of God's promises. They didn't get to see all of it. They didn't get to see all of those descendants. They didn't get to see the nation of Israel grow and spread in the Old Testament. They didn't get to see the seed of the promise, Jesus Christ. They died with only seeing a a partial fulfillment. Still waiting, waiting, waiting for the final and total fulfillment. This is what verse 13 tells us. Look again there. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar. That's what we see throughout the chapter. The Old Testament saints only saw a partial fulfillment of God's promises and then they died in faith. And Hebrews is telling us that the same is true of us. We are waiting. We have amazing, awesome promises of God. But some of them have not been fulfilled yet. We are not home yet. We're waiting for Jesus to come and bring us home. And that's interesting because in many ways that's what they were waiting for in the Old Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, to come and deliver them. And he came the first time and he delivered his people from their sins. He came to die the first time, to die on a cross for our sins, to deliver us from our biggest problem. Then he rose and then he ascended. And here we are, still waiting for him to return and bring the final fulfillment and to bring us home. They were waiting for Jesus and for the kingdom of God. And we too are waiting for Jesus and the kingdom of God. So a caution here is to make sure we are waiting for the right things putting our hope truly in Jesus and in his kingdom. I love America. I love Kansas. And gulp, I even love Texas. But this is not the kingdom of God. As Christians, we're not waiting for a new politician to come and make things right. We don't put our hope that if the other party or a third party gets power, then, then we're going to be good. It's good. We pray for our leaders. I praise God that we have the right to vote in this country. We can be engaged in the process. We can even work for the government. We can serve our country. We can help our country pursue justice and mercy. But we are waiting for something more. Our hope is higher and deeper than anything this country or this world has to offer. Are you waiting for and hoping for the right things? Sometimes we think, oh, if if we could just build our forever home, then everything will be okay. 
we just move out to this new place. Then we'll be good to go. We'll feel settled. There's no forever home on this earth. We put our hope in politics. I even wonder this last week, how many of you cared more about the speaker of the house than the condition of God's house? It's okay to care about the speaker of the house. It's important. But our focus is higher. It's deeper. We're waiting for something more important. We have a more important mission. How is your patience in your waiting for Jesus? Can you wait for God to do his work in your life even when the timing doesn't make sense to you? When it feels like he should act now, but he's saying, wait. It's not easy. But that's our first faith calling this morning, to wait on the promises of God. It leads us to our second one, which is this. By faith, we hope for a better city. By faith, we hope for a better city. Abraham was able to wait on God because of what we see in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham waited with a hope looking forward to the city of God, the kingdom that God builds. He understood that there's something bigger going on than just Abraham and his family and his nation and people. God had a bigger plan than just Abraham. And that's why when God called Abraham to kill his own son, the son of the promise, Isaac, Abraham was ready to do it. He was able to pull the knife to sacrifice his son because he knew God had a greater plan. And he trusted that God would make a way. And he did. And he didn't have to kill his son. That's quite a faith in God's promises. That's quite a hope in a greater kingdom than the things that we can see. Verses 14 and 16 even strengthen this point. Look at verse 14 again. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. People who speak thus, the the people who have the kind of faith like Abraham, people who are waiting on God's promises, they're seeking a homeland because we're not home yet. This is what I was talking about earlier with with my family. You know, we, we really deeply experienced this in recent years of really not having a home for a season and bouncing from place to place and plane to plane. And a lot of people in the missions world feel that way. It's hard. It's good that we have a home now. We love our house. We love our church. But homes change and people move and people die. Churches change, as I can see in the last three and a half years. And that's good. There's a lot more people here in first service than in the past. I left and then you grew. So, all right, cool. And our world and our country is fallen and temporary. So when we have a taste of home on this earth, it should give us an even deeper joy in the home that is to come. So it's good if you feel at home in many ways. If if you have a healthy home and a healthy family, praise God and may that point you to the even better one that is to come. But if you feel lonely and homesick and homeless in many ways, let that all the more drive you to the joy of the home that is to come. The city that God has built for his children. Oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. 
You know, there's so many things in our lives today that point to a greater reality. Home is one of those. We taste home in this life and it tells us about the greater home to come. Marriage is like that. Marriage is is a wonderful thing, but it's actually pointing us to a deeper reality, the union of Christ and his church. Work is like that. Work is a good thing that God gives us. It's good to work and better our city, provide for our families, but it's also under a curse. It points us to the great work and service we will do for God in his city for eternity. And with our nation, when we see good things in our nation, we can rejoice. When we see political leaders who act in accordance with justice and mercy, we can say, wow, this reminds us of King Jesus who reigns with perfect justice and mercy. And when we see bad leaders who don't reign with justice and mercy, it can make us long for King Jesus who will reign with justice and mercy. Such good news that we're not home. Such good news that we're not home because it means that when bad things happen, we know it's temporary. When trials come in your life, you know it's temporary. Even if it lasts your whole life, it's temporary because you're going home. When people die too young and unexpectedly, we grieve and cry, but we have hope. The first free has lost many dear saints since I was last year. I miss them. <laughs> dear brothers and sisters. But they're home. They're doing just fine. And we have a great hope. I've gone through many trials. You've gone through many trials in your lives. But we know that they're temporary in leading us to the greater city. And so some of you are in the depths of trials right now. I know it. You're crying out to God and you're waiting for his deliverance. You're, you're hoping he'll answer your prayers today and maybe he will or maybe he'll say wait. But you're waiting and waiting and hoping and hoping and it feels dark and you feel desperate. And I just want to tell you it's, it's okay. You're in really good company. Probably most of us feel that way and will feel that way in 2023 at some point. Well, you're in the company of all the Old Testament saints. I'm sure Abraham felt that way. I'm sure Noah felt that way when he's building an ark and waiting for the ark, waiting for the flood to come and people are mocking him and saying, what are you doing? God, what are you up to here? David cries out to God so often in the Psalms. We're in good company when we're in trials. The good news is that Jesus came and he's coming again and we are called to hope. We cannot become hopeless in our homelessness. We feel homeless, we feel homesick, but we are called to keep our hope, our hope in the greater city that we see here in Hebrews 11. I love the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's a classic. It's one of my top five books. I'm sure many of you have read it. It was written by John Bunyan way back around the year 1680. And in it, the main character, Christian, is on a journey to the celestial city, the city of God. And he faces all kinds of trials. He faces his own sins as he trudges along, waiting and hoping and moving forward towards the great city. John Bunyan was inspired to write Pilgrim's Progress 
by Hebrews, by the book of Hebrews that we're looking at. And John Bunyan faced terrible trials in his life. His life was a life of great sorrow. He spent 12 years in and out of prison because of his faithful preaching of the gospel. His first wife died when he was just 30 years old. His daughter was blind. He had to spend much of his life making shoelaces in order to provide for his family alongside his pastoring. John Bunyan knew the hope of a heavenly city and inspired one of the greatest works, the Pilgrim's Progress. And he found that hope here in Hebrews. So maybe you're here today because God wants to give you that hope afresh. To remind you that your trials are temporary and that the celestial city is at the end of your road because of Jesus. To remind you that all the brokenness and oppression and sin that you're seeing in you and around you is temporary. You know, now that I have more years under my belt, more experience in different places and countries, I can say this. The world is more broken than I've ever imagined. There's a lot of hurting people. It crosses every culture. It crosses the inner cities and the suburbs. It crosses every country and nation on earth. People are hurting and this world is badly broken. More than I ever could have imagined. And Jesus is more wonderful than I could have ever imagined. I've seen his love and tenderness. I'm sorry, I knew I was going to get emotional. I was ready for this. But, um, man, I've seen his love, his mercy and tenderness in such deep ways to so many people. His steadfast love truly never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. And I hope that God bringing me here this morning would help convince you of that if you're unsure. Because my friend, if, if you know Jesus, your hope is fully secure. Jesus died on the cross for your sins to give you complete forgiveness and to adopt you as a child into his family. To give you a place in that heavenly city where he's prepared a place for you. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, it is your best hope. It is your sure hope. You have nothing else in this world to hope in. Everything else that the world is hoping in is is falling apart. I mean, if your best hope is government, yikes. If your best hope is society and what's going on in our culture, it's not going to be good for you. Or a lot of people now, their best hope is look inward to yourself. It's amazing coming back to America. Every message that we're bombarded with is self, self. Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Like every commercial I see is something about yourself. Come on. You really want to hope in yourself? That's your best hope? Another personality test? Discovering yourself? Finding yourself? I know myself, and that's not going to get me anywhere after I die. If that's all we have to hope in, we're doomed. Jesus is our sure hope. He came and died and rose to prove it. Would you give your life to him today and find that hope? 
the third and final calling we see this morning. We've seen how we're called by faith to wait on the promises of God. That was number one. Number two, we hope for a better country. This third one tells us even more how to live. By faith, we live as strangers and exiles. By faith, we live as strangers and exiles. That's straight from verse 13 in our text. It says they acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on this earth. So while we wait and hope, we're called to live differently from other people, to live differently from the world. One of our identities as Christians is stranger and exile. We're, we're going to be kind of weird. We're, we're set apart from the world. So what does this mean? What does this look like practically? Well, first, I think it means we may face persecution. That's what they were facing in the book of Hebrews. That's what the author is encouraging them about is you're strangers and exiles, you're facing persecution, but keep your hope. And us too, as strangers and aliens in this world, we're not going to fit in well sometimes. Sometimes we're trying too hard to. In the first part of Hebrews 11, we see the story of Abel and Cain. Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. He did what was right and he got killed for it. That was his reward. We saw how Noah constructed the ark to save his household. It says Noah condemned the world by doing so. I'm sure he was mocked and persecuted in that process with that big boat on dry land. Later in Hebrews 11, we see God's people stoned, sawn in two, suffering mocking and flogging, wandering about in deserts and mountains. We are strangers I hope we will not experience that kind of persecution. I definitely don't want to be sawn in two. But are you ready for persecution? Do you have a faith and a hope that can endure that? Persecution is real in the world. In many countries like China, secrets out, that's where I was. Pastors are still getting arrested and and put in prison. That's really happening today. And I'm a I'm, I'm not Mr. Alarmist, okay? I'm, I'm not Mr. Sky is falling, everyone go buy your, your uh, survival packs for the, the world to end and for America to fall apart. I'm not that type of guy. I'm a pretty optimistic guy generally, but as we look at our culture, we have to see the direction it's going and that we may face more persecution here in the near future. The signs are clear. It, it's plain to see that mainstream culture here is moving away from biblical Christianity. I hope that we'll see a great revival here. I'm praying for that here in Kansas. We still have awesome churches like First Free, like the Journey Bible Fellowship in Leander, where I hope we'll spread the gospel powerfully to our world. But we need to be honest and see what's going on and and be prepared. Persecution may be coming. You, You could lose your job because of your faith in Christ. Teenagers, if you follow Jesus, you're you're probably not going to be in the in crowd. Same for adults. Maybe harder to make friends. We may miss out on things. Is Jesus worth it to you to face persecution in the years ahead if we do? Is Jesus worth it to you? If you have a stranger mindset in this world, He'll be worth it to you. 
another point about being a stranger in exile in this world who may face persecution. It shows how much more we need each other. And that's one of the big points in Hebrews. In fact, I think perhaps the main point of Hebrews is in chapter 10, the chapter before 11. So if, if you flip back a page and look at chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As strangers and exiles, we need each other all the more, church. We need church more than ever to help us hold fast to our confession, to stand firm in our faith. We need each other. We need to stir one another up toward love and good works. We need to not neglect meeting together. It's good to see you all back here. I know a lot of churches after the pandemic, people just drifted away. They got out of the habit of meeting together. We need to see each other and hear each other and hug each other and shake each other's hands and encourage each other. We need our church community. We need the truths of the gospel every week soaking into our hearts together. I think church is where we get the greatest taste of our eternal home. That's where I feel at home the most. It's with my church. You know, we tasted that in Abu Dhabi so deeply and powerfully. Everyone who comes to that church in Abu Dhabi, it's like a slice of heaven. That's what we always say. The worship is what I miss the most at that church. Our time of worship was so powerful. Uh, we didn't have a worship pastor. I know you're searching. I hope God brings the right one for you. We didn't have professionally trained musicians. We had people, I remember standing there and one singer from Indonesia, that's where my shirt's from, by the way, Indonesia. One singer from Sri Lanka, Philippines, leading us in worship, looking around the room and hearing the voices so strong. We, we couldn't hear the band because the people were singing so powerfully praising Jesus, singing a song like Great is Thy Faithfulness together in all of our sorrows and all of our joys from all the different nations saying, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father. Man, I, I, it was just powerful. It was a slice of heaven, truly. You should go visit just to see that. But wait, it, that's happening here. You don't have quite as many nations here, but this is a church of diverse people with diverse backgrounds and diverse problems. And this is a taste of heaven. Worshiping with you this morning was awesome. Christ alone, cornerstone. Oh, how good it is. Man, those are good songs to sing together. I don't see how people miss church for a couple months. It's like, man, I, I, if I miss church for a week, I got to get back there. I need it. We need each other in these days. It's a taste of heaven to come together as a church. And finally, as a church, you know, as we live as strangers and exiles, part of being set apart is we live on a mission. You notice these people in Hebrews 11, they, they weren't just sitting around whining and complaining. Oh, the world's falling apart. I need to run away. No, they're still living out the word of God. They're living as missional strangers. I like that phrase. I, like, I think that's what we're called to be, missional strangers. Not escapist strangers who just run away from the problems, but missional strangers who 
run into the world to call people out of the world. Jesus wasn't a stranger to us. He came down into our world to save us. So we don't run away from the world. We run into it to help tell people about Jesus. We are missional strangers, purposeful, courageous, missional strangers in this world. We're not home, but we have a job to do while we're here. First Free Church is a church on mission. And I love that. I love seeing that missions wall out there. Oh, that warms my heart. It looks good. Love all the missionaries you're supporting. Our church is now supporting Dylan and Hannah too. Um, It's been fun to keep in touch with a lot of them. Y'all are doing a great job (laughs) with that. Don't stop. I say increase the missions budget. I always say you could be doing 90% missions. I'd say increase the missions budget. But keep going. You're on mission. You're still spreading the gospel to the nations and making disciples of Jesus Christ here. Keep going. I'll close with this last little story. Because when I, when I announced I was leaving my church in Abu Dhabi, there was a number of people who came to me and said, we're sad that you're leaving, but your country needs you more than we do. Wow. Like, your country needs faithful gospel preaching. These are from people from Indonesia and India. And there's still unreached people groups in those places. We need to send people to those places. Absolutely. And yet there's a fear in the global church about what's happening to America. And not just America, but the American church. Some of the things they're seeing in the mainstream church, they're concerned about. That we're maybe losing our focus or compromising. And they're worried. So many of them were happy to send me back to America because they see the need here. Church, you have a calling and a purpose here in Wichita to help people to know Jesus. I know there's a lot of suffering in this room as we are homesick for heaven. How much more suffering is there out in the world? People are hurting. Statistics about mental health are staggering. The culture needs the church. Let's not let the culture infect the church. First free, I hope and pray you will continue faithful here. And we've seen this morning how God has called us to wait on his promises, to hope for the city to come, and to live as strangers and exiles. All of that is by faith, even as we feel homesick and wait for our home. Let's pray. Father, we we bow our hearts before you and I know I said a lot. I don't know what you've used to to speak to people today, what each person in here needs from you. I know we all need a fresh hope from you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'd give that to them. I just want to take a, a, a moment of silence for you to reflect on on where your hope is. Let's take a minute. Lord, we're sorry for our impatience. 
We're sorry for the ways we've hoped in worldly things. We thank you for your grace, your sweet tenderness, Lord. So I lift up the people in this room and this great church, and I pray that you would help them to live with that homesick feeling as strangers and exiles in this world, but with a great, deep hope. A hope that will spread out from these walls to Wichita and to the nations. Empower this church by your spirit to do mighty things in your name, to spread this great hope that we see in Hebrews 11. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.